Hey guys, and welcome back to the Duke Wisdom Podcast. So last week I prematurely promised everybody that I'd be ranking the last 10 Duke basketball teams uh, at the beginning of the episode, but then I rambled for 30 minutes about the top 15 players of the 2020s and ran out of time to do that. So I'm recording this literally immediately after I recorded last week's episode, um, but of course this one coming out on September 28th. So I'm actually going to rank the 10 seasons now. Um, if there is some sort of big Duke news uh, that happens, I'm going to interject it right here. Oh boy, what I'm about to say is going to sound really, really stupid. Uh, <laughs> um, literally two hours after I recorded um, this episode, Tom Knuppel committed to Duke. Um, out of the blue, out of nowhere. It is very clear that John Shire has a, a type when it comes to this class. Um, number 11 overall player Isaiah Evans, a six foot six small forward. Uh, Knuppel is ranked 16th by 24 7 sports. He is a six foot five small forward. And then, of course, Darren Harris, who is a six foot six small forward. Man, somebody's going to have to explain the vision to me. Uh, that's three players playing the same position. They don't exactly do the same things, don't get me wrong, but I'm going to need the vision explained. I'll do a deeper dive on this in later weeks, more of a recruiting deep dive. I'll probably do that closer to countdown time when Cooper Flagg's recruitment really hits a peak. But man, is what I'm about to say. I'm going to keep it in too because I'm, I'm keeping myself honest. I'm going to keep it in too. Uh, but man, is it going to look stupid. Con Knepel commits to Duke. And so if nothing just happened, you know that no big Duke news happened in the last seven days, um, which it very well might not. It's September. It's not exactly busy season, but there's always recruiting stuff that could be happening. You know, Cooper Flagg's going to be on campus for Countdown to Craziness. His um, recruitment is is at a very vital point. Uh, Colin Knipple. He's visiting Duke. Um, he'll probably make a decision. I think he already visited. Um, he'll make a decision very soon between Duke and Virginia. Anticipate that that will be Virginia. Maybe that's already happened um, at this point. I would not guess that he'd go to Duke. Anyway, I'm not going to string everybody on any longer. I'm going to get into the ranking of the last 10 Duke seasons. So the last 10 Duke seasons will include every year from the 2013-14 season through the 2020. 2023 year last season. Um, and so I'll go ahead and get it started. Number 10 is a pretty obvious pick. I talked about it last week. It's the 2020-2021 team that missed the NCAA tournament the COVID year. I talked about a lot about how it's the easiest year to write off. You can't exactly write it off, but I mean, a group of largely freshmen and underclassmen, not a whole lot of returning talent, have to live in hotels. They're not used to the college experience. They don't get to practice in the exact same way. And that's, cra and that's just crazy difficult for a young team to deal with. And not only are they, were they you know, young, but games were getting canceled. Jalen Johnson quit the team 11 games into the season. That was supposed to be their best player. And um, you know, they struggled with defining roles. The starting lineup was constantly changing. I mean, Patrick DePay entered the lineup for like a game. Um, 
the guard roles were constantly like who's starting at the guard position, who's the true point guard with Roach and Goldwire and even Stewart. And Wendell Moore wasn't living up to expectations. Mark Williams wasn't a polished product yet. Matt Hurt was killing it, but um, he needed some help. You know, defensively, he wasn't fantastic. Offensively, he was. Um, and that team, ends, that team ends up losing a lot of games that it really should have won. You know, like that game against Pittsburgh. It showed glimpses of being that top 25 team that they were uh, for the first couple weeks of the season. You know, and like the blowout win against Clemson, games like that. But ultimately, you know, they get thrashed by Carolina and, and the Dean Dome and they go 11 and 11 in the regular season. Then they had a really solid showing there in the ACC tournament. They beat Boston College by a lot. Saverino, Worthington get to play in that game. Then they come in and beat Louisville. Mark Williams goes absolutely insane, gets everybody's hopes up for him as an NBA player and uh, a really solid player for the next season. And... um then they have a COVID case. And for the second straight year, COVID ends Duke season. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that that Duke team was going to win the ACC tournament. They were playing Florida State the next the next game. It was the two seed. I, odds are they lose that game to Florida State. But if they don't, you know, then the uh, chances get a lot better with games against Carolina and Georgia Tech. It wasn't out of the question. It wasn't likely. But they weren't done yet. They do go 13-11. and 11. It is the worst Duke team in uh, at least a quarter century since... 95 at the, at the least. Um, it is, I mean, it has a claim as one of the worst teams under Coach K ever. Um, but there's a lot more reasons for its struggle than a lot of other teams. You know, just the m- most historically insane. It is the most historically crazy season in college basketball. Plain and simple. I mean, the team only played 24 games. So that tells you what you need to know, really. At number nine, I have last year's team, 2022-23. And I went a little bit back and forth with this because in the last 10 years, Duke has only won the ACC tournament three times. And obviously last year's team is one of those three teams to win it. But you got to look at the big picture. And in January, that was a team, this was a team that was projected to be like a nine seed. And that's not lost on me. They got a five seed, should have been a four seed. But and they were a Final Four, you know, favorite by the time the tournament rolled around because they were hot as fire, you know, winning ten straight games and they looked fantastic, hung a banner, um, all that. But don't let that distract you from the fact that they lost to Wake Forest in December. The fact that you know I was there, I was in the I was in the student section, so I will never forget the absolute embarrassment that happened in PNC Arena. I mean that normally happens, but this year's this past year's was uh, was even worse than usual. Things like that happened. Um, they, you know, got manhandled by Purdue. Uh, that game against Kansas, I think, I, I truly believe out every team I'm ranking above this team, the eight teams that I'm going to rank above them, if they had played that same Kansas team and that Kansas team had played the exact same way they played, all eight of those teams would have won against Kansas last season. 100%. Even at the beginning of the year, they would have won. Hundred percent. There's growing pains, uh, and I understand that. And I, I'm not. I don't want to rag on last year's team because I think what they did was impressive, and they wonderfully set up the Shire era, and they did incredibly well considering everything. The fact that you only had two returning players, one returning rotational player, and I think it, you know it's incredibly impressive what they did. Uh, hanging a banner for the ACC tournament championship was was fantastic for them. 
Um, but ultimately, I do think that the other eight teams are better. And that's just that's just a testament to the standard at Duke. The fact that the ACC tournament champion last year is only the ninth best team in the last 10 years at Duke. They are that is the lowest seed Duke has had in this time span in the NCAA tournament, a five seed. Um, and outside of, of course, missing the tournament team that they're better than. Um, but they should have been a four seed. And the next team on my list was actually a four seed. The 2015-16 Duke team, I've got eighth. So uh, Grayson Allen was absolutely nuclear that season. That was Grayson Allen in his most prime, his best form, honestly, because he was, he was fearless. He was driving to the basket with reckless abandon and using his athleticism. After all the tripping incidents and everybody uh, from everywhere online and in person coming at that young man with, with so much hostility caused him to become a more reserved player that he no longer played with the edge and the, you know, the physicality that he played with. And he became, he was restricted to a, a three point shooter as an upperclassman. And that's why he, he regressed as a player as an upperclassman, but that sophomore version of Grayson Allen was the best version of his game that we've ever seen. And he was great. Brandon Ingram was fantastic. Luke Kennard really showed a lot of signs of greatness in that season. Uh, Marshall Plumley was really solid um, as a big, you know, some people won't want to admit it, but he was. And that team picked up some really huge wins. They beat number one seed Virginia at the buzzer. They beat number one seed uh, Carolina at the, really at the buzzer as well. Derek Thornton blocked Joel Berry. Um, but I think it's a lot of the role players just weren't up to par. I think when you, there wasn't a whole lot of veteran leadership on that team past Plumley and, and Matt Jones. Because Emil Jefferson got hurt early in the season, he was supposed to play that role, and I think things would have gone a lot differently if Jefferson had been there the whole year. Uh, Chase Jeter doesn't really pan out. Thornton doesn't pan out quite the way you wanted him to. Things became more difficult. They lost some games in the middle, a lot of games in the middle of the season. At one point, losing three in a row and four out of five in conference play that, that took them out of the top twenty-five. Um, you know, they, they end up being a second weekend team, which is not what I thought would be the case. Um, coming into the tournament, but they they did it and they made it to the second weekend. They were a four seed. They had some skill, but I obviously can't put them any higher than I just have. So they come in at eight. Want to join a community of Duke accounts publishing news, theories, and predictions on Duke athletics? Join the Duke Wisdom Network. Just go to dukewisdom.org slash join network today and fill out the form with your name and social media. Or you can DM at Duke underscore wisdom on Twitter or Instagram. Become a part of the community of Duke fans publishing their takes today. Again, that's dukewisdom.org slash join network or DM at Duke underscore wisdom on Twitter or Instagram. I did a lot of thinking about these next two teams. A whole lot of thinking. And I really went in and analyzed their schedule. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce both of them at the same time. Ultimately, I went... At number seven were the 2013-14 Duke team. They were three seed in the NCAA tournament, lost to Mercer, but made it to the ACC tournament championship, had national player of the year runner-up Jabari Parker. And then at six, I'm going with 2019-2020. At ACC player of the year, Trey Jones didn't get a postseason. For a while, I had 14 at six, 2014 team at six, and the 2020 team at seven. I ultimately decided to switch them because I realized that I was holding the fact that 2020 didn't have a postseason against them. I was like, well, you know, 2014 made it to the you know tournament championship. 
then I was like, and, and then I, and then I was also using the other argument for 2014. That I was like, well, I can't hold 2014's loss to Mercer against them because 2020 doesn't really even have anything from the tournament anyway. So I should really just isolate the regular seasons. And so ultimately, I did that. And if you isolate the regular season, both of these teams are three seeds. They're both three seeds. And I think the thing that really was weighing down 2020 in my brain at first was that loss to Stephen F. Austin. They lose at the buzzer to Stephen F. Austin. It was the first non-conference home game that Duke had lost in 20 years, which was huge. That Duke team also blew like a 10-point lead in a minute and a half or two minutes or something crazy like that to Wake Forest, lost at Wake Forest, uh, lost to a not-so-great Virginia team, not as good Virginia team as you would have liked to have lost to. Um, Got throttled by state, although, like, what team doesn't? Um, And PNC, you know, what Duke team doesn't lose in PNC? But... You know, and I was thinking, you know, the 2014 team didn't have that. But then I realized, well, yeah, they did. 2014 lost to Wake Forest. They didn't lose to a Stephen F. Austin, but they only won by a point against Vermont. And then I think they only won by like single digits against ECU. You can fact check me on that as well, but I'm pretty sure that's true. They had some rough games, and I don't think they had the wins. The 2020 team beat Kansas, who was the number one overall seed in the tournament by most metrics probably at the end of that regular season. They beat Florida State, who was probably on track to be a number one seed that season. You know, Duke beat Syracuse, who would have been in 14, who would have been a one seed most of that year, but ended up being the same as they were, a three seed. And outside of that, they didn't really have any other crazy wins. Uh, They beat a ranked Michigan team, and most of their losses weren't really bad losses. They avoided losing to Vermont, things like that. But that could have been a much worse season than it was. And they lost to Mercer in the first round. And they weren't peaking at the end of the season at all. I wouldn't say that. 2020 kind of was, although that was a bit of a deceptive peak. A lot of people like to say that team was going to the Final Four for sure. I mean, every fan base says that about the 2020 season. Duke fans had reason to believe that. And it's because of the emergence of Justin Robinson and what he was going to do. He reminded a lot of people of Brian Zubak. uh, Brian Zubak in, in 2010 and what he was able to do for that team. Uh, as an emerging starter, Robinson really could have played a big role like that. And I, th- I think it's a huge shame that he didn't get minutes earlier in his career. Um, but ultimately, people do forget that like a week or two before they get those wins over state and Carolina at home, that they were losing to Lake in Virginia. You know, things were not hunky dory a week or two prior to that. And so there, there, there were a lot of reasons to doubt that that team was going to make a Final Four run. I actually think it was way more likely they lost in the first weekend than made it to the Final Four. But I really did think that team could have made it anywhere in the tournament. But because of that unpredictability, they were difficult to match up with the 14 team. But I gave them the nod. I, gave, I, I went for the nod. I said, I, I don't know. There's something about that duo of Jones and Carey. So 7-2014, 6-2020. Uh, and at five, I've got 2016-2017. Again, only one of three teams to win the ACC tournament, and they were a two-seed, only fifth. But they also, at a point, and I believe this is right, dropped out of the top 25, which is even wildly even more impressive that they end up getting a two-seed. They got a two-seed after dropping out of the top 25 at a point. And how crazy is that? You know, They lost three straight games at a point. They lost to NC State and Cameron, the only team uh, on this list to do that. And, and they messed up a lot, but they also beat Carolina, the eventual national champion, twice. Uh, and they picked up a lot of really big marquee wins. 
And that team was was really solid and had so much fight, so much resolve to win the ACC tournament. And they remind me just of a better version of last year's team. They were just a more talented version of last year's team because they didn't lose in a more talented ACC because they lost about, you know, roughly the same number of games close to not the same, but roughly, I think. Um, but they end up with the two seed last year's team ends up with the five seed, both ACC tournament champions that were out of the top 25 for portions of the year. Um, obviously, last year's team was out of the top 25 for longer. But because the ACC was better, they were able to work their way back into a two seed. Ultimately, they both go out the same way. They lose to a really tough physical SEC team in the round of 32. Um, and it's because of that first weekend exit and their regular season struggles for a while that the team that had Jason Tatum on it ends up with uh, only fifth on this list. In fourth, I've got the 2017-2018 team. This team was like, I think they were an 11-0 team before they lost. Their first loss was at Boston College, uh, which was kind of an odd first loss. But they, they, they had a lot of character, man. They, they had a lot of fight in them. They didn't lose easy. They beat number two Michigan State with a stupid performance from Grayson Allen. Dude went insane on them. Um, they win two huge comebacks in the PK-80 tournament to beat Texas and Florida in back-to-back days, which was wildly impressive. It was at that point that I thought that team could have won. That team had one of the best starting lineups of any Duke team ever. Um, Trayvon Duval, Grayson Allen, Gary Trent, Wendell Carter, Marvin Bagley is one of the best starting lineups in Duke basketball history. The bench was shallow. Marquise Bolden wasn't as good as he probably should have been at the time. He had, he had you know, his glimpses. Then Delorier, O'Connell, Goldwire. It was a really shallow bench. And that's a lot of the reason why they lost games, because these guys didn't get breathers, and ultimately four of them were freshmen. They made mistakes. Bagley didn't make a lot of them, but they made mistakes. And they pick up some big wins. They beat Carolina. They also lose a really weird game to St. John's. They lost a lot of close games where the ball, you know, I, I always thought Gary Trent was such a clutch player at Duke. And I, I, I know that there's always kind of the tendency to want to give the veteran the ball at the end of games. And so that's why Grayson Allen always got the, the last shots. But uh, he really just wasn't making them that year. And I would have given the ball to Trent. I would have gone to Gary Trent in late game scenarios. And I, that might, you know, you could say if the ball went to Trent at the end of the Kansas game, maybe Duke went to the Final Four. Uh, but then again, Grayson Allen took a heck of a shot that was a centimeter away from going in and sending this team to the Final Four. I mean, they were so close. And they were. it was a great team. It was a fantastic team with the ACC Player of the Year, first-team All-American Marvin Bagley. Um, but they fell just short of the Final Four. At three, I've got... The 2021-22 team, Coach K's last team. This was an incredibly talented team that lost very few games by very few points. They blew like a 14-point lead at the half against Ohio State that they should not have lost that game. They lost by like a point on the road at Florida State in a game they absolutely shouldn't have lost by like two points or something like that against Miami at home. Absolutely should not have lost that game. Lost at the buzzer to Virginia at home. Absolutely should not have lost that game. Honestly, the, the, the game that they they lost most thoroughly uh, in the entire regular season was the final game against Carolina and Cameron. And that's a game that you really felt like they should have won. But, you know, with all the pressures around that game, it's easy to see why they, they didn't. And they bounced back from losing that game and make it to the ACC Tournament Championship, catch a red-hot Virginia Tech team. What are you going to do with Hunter Couture in that game? Go to the tournament. They're the only team in the 2020s to make the Final Four. 
They make a Final Four run with some pretty very impressive wins. And that Texas Tech team was really good. Beating them was incredibly impressive. Beating Arkansas, beating Michigan State. Uh, first Final Four team in seven years. Uh, Coach K's last Final Four team and a Final Four in his last season. I know we like to talk about the fact that his last game was a loss to North Carolina. Carolina fans will love to bring that up. And it's true. It, it's absolutely true. His last game was a loss to North Carolina. But also the fact that he made the Final Four in his last season. I mean, how many coaches really get to say that? That they, they announce their retirement before the season and then make the Final Four is, is very impressive. And that team was very good. And honestly, I think it was their youth that caused them to lose the games that they did lose. They should have had a lot less losses than they did have. Uh, a stacked and incredibly talented roster led by Paulo Boncaro. Uh, Wendell Moore made a huge jump that season. Mark Williams made a big jump that season. Jeremy Roach was fantastic and really came into his own in the NCAA tournament and became uh, the player that he is today uh, and is still you know, improving upon. But uh, Trevor Keels and A.J. Griffin were, were great in the fact that you know, they weren't even part of the, the top three players and how good they were. You know, that team was, was just it was stacked. It was loaded. Um, and it was a Final Four team. And it's right below one team that wasn't a Final Four team, and that's a number two team. 2018, 2019, the unequivocally, 100%, the best Duke team of all time that did not make the Final Four. I don't think I've ever been more confident, besides maybe the team that's ranked above this one, of a team that I was like, this team's going to make the Final Four. I just thought it was a foregone conclusion. They were just stupid good. And then it was just reaffirmed when they smeared Kentucky all over the, the hardwood in the first game of the season. That team had the greatest four-man freshman group that has ever been assembled with, with Williamson, Barrett, Reddish, and Jones. It was just, I mean, talent-wise was incredible. But the talent, but but the drop from the fourth guy to the fifth guy was wild. The drop from from Reddish or Jones, whoever you thought was the fourth guy on that team, to Deloria and Bolden and White was like, man, wow. Like I'm not, I don't want to rag on Deloria, Bolden, and White. They played great roles on that team and great roles while they were at Duke and have all played in the NBA. But that, ooh, it was difficult. Uh, There's a lot of pressure on four freshmen's shoulders that season and everybody just kind of expected them to win the national championship. It's the only team on this list to be the number one overall team at the end of the regular season. Uh, they win the ACC tournament. Zion Williamson is the national player of the year, the first player to win national player of the year in 13 years at Duke. Uh, Williamson is maybe one of the greatest college basketball players of all time. RJ Barrett literally averaged, is, has the second highest scoring single season in Duke basketball history and isn't even the best player on that team. He was the national player of the year runner-up. Zion's not there. He's the NPOY. Uh, heck, I think USA Today named him National Player of the Year, just to be contrarian. Um, this team was ludicrous. And then the tournament happens. I mean, heck, even most of their losses in the regular season are just can be chalked up to injuries. They lose twice to Carolina. Well, Zion didn't play. Uh, they lose to um, Syracuse. It's like, oh, Trey Jones and Cam Reddish didn't play that game. They lose to Virginia Tech. Oh, Zion didn't play that game. Gonzaga is the only time they had everybody uh, healthy for. The, the only loss that everybody was healthy for the whole season leading up into the NCAA tournament. And then, and then 
They win with ease in the first round, and then every Duke fan has a collective heart attack watching them play Taco Fall and UCF, Aubrey Dawkins, and the second round of the tournament. The, the luckiest I've ever seen a team get with the miss on the layup and the putback was just wild at the end of that game. They get lucky enough to win that game. When that happened, I was thinking, this team has luck on its side. It has luck. It has everything on its side. They're going to finish this job. And they get the same lucky break on the lob miss for Virginia Tech the next game. I'm like, it's destiny. It's destiny. This team like is gonna is confirming everything I've ever believed. Not winning in the way they should win. Absolutely not. Somehow RJ Barrett misses a free throw and they lose. Which, by the way, in my time watching Duke basketball to that point, I actually I don't think I'd ever seen Duke lose to Michigan State. And they lose to Michigan State by a point in the Elite Eight. And just all the players were distraught. I mean, watching Trey Jones' reaction, he was absolutely distraught. And it was unbelievable. And it was, and it was heart-wrenching for that team because the three teams in the Final Four were, you know, they, they would have been playing Texas Tech the next game, who they had beat. On the other side, Virginia, who they beat twice, hadn't lost to them. And Auburn, who they had beat. They were 4-0 against the other three teams in the Final Four. They lost to Michigan State. You know, and they weren't playing their best basketball at the end of the year. They're dealing with injuries. Cam Reddish had, I think, missed the Sweet 16 game, and he wasn't fully healthy in the Elite Eight. We're always dealing with those injuries, and there was a lot of pressure on four guys' shoulders. But man, would you like to have had a Final Four for that one? Uh, if 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 you're if you're a Duke fan, um, obviously the number one team is is 2014-15. Argument could be made 18-19 was better on paper in some ways, but that Duke team only lost five, uh, four games, right? 35 and four. Uh, I think that's the best record a Duke team's had in you know, a long time. That a Duke team had had in a while. At this point, it's been like over two decades or probably over two decades since a Duke team's performed that well. And it just, I had a feeling preseason with that team, very similar to the 2019 team, where it was like, oh, Final Four's in Indianapolis. You know, it's the Apples thing. Duke can only win a championship in a city ending with Apples. Uh, that's why 15 and 19 both look great on paper preseason. And then also you just, I watched that team in the open practice in 2015. And I was like, yeah, this team's going to win the national championship. I knew how good Kentucky was. Truly, I did. But I just knew. And I watched him for a little while. And it's like Okafor was so good. Quinn Cook was such a natural leader. Tyus Jones was a fantastic floor general. Justice Winslow played the role of the defender really well. And I think once they figured out that inserting Matt Jones in the starting lineup significantly improved how good of a defensive team that, that, that group was. They came into the tournament, they got the right route. And when they matched up with Wisconsin, I think a lot of people thought Wisconsin was going to win because they just beat Kentucky. But I like this team against Wisconsin. Grayson Allen has the game of his life and they won the national championship. And it's like, it wasn't a surprise to me, but it was um, one of the greatest Duke teams of all time. It is without question Duke's best uh, team post-2010. Not even a debate, I don't think. Um, and it's, you know, the, the most recent championship. And, you know, Duke's never gone, since they won the first, they've never gone more than nine calendar years without winning a national championship. And this season marks the ninth, well, mark the ninth calendar year since it happened. Uh, so if history repeats itself, this Duke team will win the national championship and in the year we'll come back and we'll reevaluate this list 
see where the 2013 or 2023-2024 team falls on this list. See see how they match up with with 2015. But um, thanks for listening as always, guys. Let me know how you would rank them if you disagree with me in any way. I'm sure a lot of you might. Um, I'm wrong a lot. <laughs> but uh, thanks for listening so much, guys. Make sure you follow and like podcast wherever you're listening. Make sure you share it and uh, keep on listening because I'm going to keep on talking. So I'll, I'll talk to you guys next week. And uh, thanks so much for listening.